Dear brothers and sisters, respect those hard workers among you, the ones leading you and teaching you in the Lord. Honor them with the highest regard and love because of their efforts and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are disobedient, encourage those who are discouraged, care for those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one pays, pays back evil for evil, but you must pursue doing good for each other and to all people. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You must not extinguish the Holy Spirit. You must not disregard prophecies. You must test everything and hold on to what is good, but avoid every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen because he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you, Luke and Jake. I appreciate you reading that. I appreciate all the readers who've uh, helped us understand that there are at least three different writers of, of 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy, and that this is a conversation with a group of believers. Now that text finishes up 1 Thessalonians, and always seems like we get hung up on the holy kiss. That's all I'm going to say about it today. We're going to move on because I don't know why we would get caught up in that when there's so much more going on through this. The writers of 1 Thessalonians have just given us a view of how all of history has come to this point and how it will all end up. How many times do people say, do we wonder as a people, if only we knew what was going to happen? We would be so ready and so prepared if we knew that the crises of 2020 were coming our way. We would be so ready and so prepared if we knew that something was coming our way in 2021. And now as we get ready to enter into 2022, you've got so many people telling you everything that might happen in 2022 to get you prepared. But right here in the Word of God and through the Spirit of God, we know what will happen in the future. And we can be prepared. And, and this is, is what I want us to see and remember as believers. Now, we're talking about a model church. A model is something that helps, that demonstrates, that uh, illustrates for us everything that's going to happen. So here you have on the screen a model of history and the future if we look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. What I've broken down here for you is that the incarnation of God in Jesus changes human history. Now, I'm using the big terms on purpose here. There's some alliteration, incarnation, revelation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, exaltation. Oh yeah, we like this. And also, you're going to hear these terms, and I want you to understand what they mean. The incarnation comes up around this time of year, because the story of Christmas is the story of Jesus Christ being born, uh, it is God 
in human form, that is the incarnation in human form, in a physical human body, all right? And that changes everything because God decides to come among us. Max Lucado's devotional book, God Came Near, that he wrote decades ago, that's still a good one, and I recommend that. If you're looking for some reading this time of year, check out God Came Near. Because he reflects on what it means for God to become a human being, to live and dwell among us. His purpose in doing that was to reveal who he was. That's what it meant for God to come near. To reveal God's nature to us. To relate to us in a way that we can understand. That he's not just the, 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 the burning bush or the, the cloud or the pillar of fire on the mountain. That he's not a remote God, but he's a God that can understand what we're going through by going through the same experience that we go through as human beings. The crucifixion is God's will. But the crucifixion will always be a horrible reminder of our sinful arrogance. Because humanity decides that the presence of God and the person who claims to be the Son of God needed to be silenced because of all of the trouble He was causing. And crucifixion already existed before Jesus Christ and it continued even afterwards as a form of execution to silence those who threatened the powers that be. Crucifixion will always be a reminder of our arrogance and our capacity for violence, but God changes it and makes it the means of redemption and atonement. And the reason He can do that is because Christ, even though He is the Son of God and has all authority, makes Himself obedient to God's will, even if it costs Him a shameful death on the cross. And the resurrection is God's response to the crucifixion that the crucifixion doesn't get the last word that the resurrection is God's way of saying you can kill but I can give life you can make things dead but I can make things new again and it doesn't end there from the resurrection you have the ascension of Jesus and when he leaves he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit and he's exalted it's what it's God's way of vindicating the obedience of Jesus and saying this one is my son and he was not deserving of the punishment that you gave him now the only thing in this history that remains is the return of Jesus Christ that's the one thing that goes in this overall description of the work of Jesus, and it's the one thing that has not yet happened. We wait for it. Just like the Christians in Thessalonica waited for it. We wait for it. It's still out there. And it's interesting that there's so much speculation about what will happen during the return of Jesus. When really, there's some things that we know very certainly, and there's some things... We don't have to know. There's things we shouldn't know. But we can be assured that He will return. Now below the line in history, that's us here in the church. All of this operation is heaven's view of what's going on. The incarnation, the revelation, the crucifixion, resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation and the return. All of that is under heaven's directive. And Christ gives the church the commission. We're to make disciples. 
That means that we are disciples, we are learners, we are learning what it means to be a follower of the one who embodied, the one who was the model for all humanity. And we are supposed to make other disciples. Most of your New Testament, a good portion of your New Testament, the the emphasis of the letter to the Thessalonians is you need to be making disciples, and this is what the disciple-making lifestyle looks like. And very specifically there in that, in that white timeline, that arrow there, it comes down to two things, and we saw this last week. Stay vigilant and stay sober. It's your conduct, what you do, and it's your attitude, what you think, what you feel. Stay vigilant. Keep watch. You don't know when the return's going to be, but if you're ready... It doesn't matter. You're ready for it. And stay sober. Now, sober is we're going to understand it in this context. It's a take on the opposite of being drunk or intoxicated. But our intoxication is not just distilled spirits, okay? It's not just alcohol or drugs. Sober-mindedness for us also involves avoiding the kind of worldly evil thinking that corrupts our view of ourselves and one another. And it infiltrates our thinking so that we then do lose our edge. We're no longer alert. We're not vigilant. But again, the practical question down there written out is, so what does this look like? I hear you, Benjamin. You say, i got to be vigilant. Okay, I get you. Vigilant and vigilant, okay? You go for both. But what does that look like? And what exactly are we supposed to do? Well, thank God for his word because he goes into that. He breaks into a section here where he says, you want to know what that looks like, then you need to follow the leader. You need to follow the leader and follow the leaders. Christ is our leader and we follow him. The disciples of Jesus Christ were to make other disciples. All disciples are ultimately disciples of Jesus Christ. We are all following the one who models humanity, models conduct and attitude. What we saw in him when he was obedient, we follow that. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, will say, you should have within you the same mind that was in Jesus Christ. And then he goes through that timeline again. That's in Philippians chapter 2. Read it sometime and see if it's not a good companion to this text in 1 Thessalonians 5. But in terms of vigilance, he says, I want you to pay attention to the leaders and the teachers among you. You need to regard them with respect. You need to regard them with love. You need to pay attention to them. And here... Is he talking about people like me? Well, yes. Is he talking about people like our shepherds? Yes. Is he talking about people who set a good example to us and have taught us from the time that we were children? Yes. It's all of the above. The leaders in the church are quite simply the leaders in the church. Let me ask you this, because if you're wondering, well, okay, wait, if Benjamin's going to be preaching about leaders and what leaders need to do, maybe I can switch over to Angry Birds or something like that. If he's going to be talking, does anybody even play that anymore? I don't know. Yeah, if he's going to be talking about that, then maybe I can go over to YouTube. Let me tell you who the leaders in the church are. And I'll answer that by saying, where do we get leaders in the church? They come from the church. The leaders in the church are you. Each of us is leading somebody 
Those of you who haven't gone to college yet, right here, my people, you're leaders. You're going to lead us when you go off on mission trips. You're going to set an example. You're going to remind, you know, we always tell you, well, you know, you're, you're a leader for these young ones who are looking up to you. Okay, we get that. So, you know, don't pick on them and remember that you were young too. But you're even going to lead old folks like me because you're going to remind me of what it meant to have that dedication. So I think it was important that, that you know, here, here's Jake and Luke reading this scripture, and I'm listening to them. And, uh, you know, I, I've been on this earth probably three times as long as they've been alive nearly. But they're reading God's Word, and I need to pay attention to that because that's God's Word for me. And this is what we do. Each of us is in process and we need to be vigilant, and so we'll all be covering this at some point in our life, okay? Here's what you do. Get ready. Here's the practical stuff. Number one, you need to warn the disobedient. You need to warn the disobedient. You need to inform those, and the word sometimes is translated lazy. They're asleep on their watch, okay? They are asleep when they should be alert. They're getting lackadaisical. They're forgetting what it means to be alert. They're getting caught up and distracted in the wrong things in this world. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> it's happened to me. And sometimes I need somebody to warn me. God has sent me leaders in my life who remind me, hey, the things that you're worried about right now, these are not the things that matter. We need to warn the disobedient. Second, we need to encourage the discouraged. The word here says, give courage to the ones who've lost it. You know how Jesus calls uh, His disciples, ye of little faith? And He has that word there that says that your faith is kind of... Uh, and He's really calling them, if you want to come up with a crazy term, He's calling them micro-faiths. Okay? Because they're, 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 they're little tiny. It's like you don't have enough faith, Right? Well, this is micro-life, or micro-soul, is what he's translating here. And it means that their soul, their vibrancy, they have been discouraged. The encouragement and discouragement language that has run through this text and runs through the Bible is really about standing your ground. It's about standing guard. It's, about, it's warrior language. Because in the old days when you would fight, you would have to get a line of people, very Braveheart style, and stand there and wait for the enemy to come down on you, but don't break the line. Stand there. And people who would lose their courage, it says basically they're losing their guts, okay? And not just bravery. They're losing everything, okay? You, there, let the reader understand, okay? And they're losing it all. And they're running and they're hiding and they're scared. He says, don't do that. Those who are discouraged need some, they need a transfusion of courage. So encourage them. Folks, what we need right now is we need courageous souls in the body of Christ. Not our own kind of courage, but a courage that says, hey, we know how all this works out. We've seen the model timeline. We know who's going to win. We know how this all ends up. Why are we scared? Because the thing that will make the church make a lot of bad decisions is fear fear worry and discouragement and we make some dumb decisions as the church because we don't have the courage that god can give us warn the disobedient encourage the discouraged and care for the weak these are the people that for some reason or another maybe you know maybe they're 
Maybe they're ill. Maybe they're worn out. Notice that this isn't denying our humanity. We're not being called to be perfect. We're being called to be obedient and have a little courage and pay attention. But we get weak. And we need to care for those who get weak. Maybe we're weak because of circumstances. Maybe we don't have any power. You know, the the ancient church was made up of people who came from the class of society that had all of the power and privileges, and it was made up of people who were slaves, who were owned by others and had absolutely no rights. And they had no dream of it. You remember back during our mission season, and I talked to one of our uh, friends, and in the country he was at where Christianity is oppressed, I said, you know, what about them asserting their rights? What about them fighting for their rights? He said, oh, there's none of that. That doesn't happen. There's no hope of that. They can't even imagine that. But what they have is they have a power and a hope that comes from another view of the world and how this is all going to end up. We need to care for the weak. And we need to be patient with everyone. In other words, this isn't, this isn't just mathematical. This is human, and we've got to get through it. We've got to be patient with everyone. And then that leads to this last point of vigilance, and if you've heard none of the others and don't get it, then I want you to get this one. See to it. See to it. Keep watch. Two things. A, no one pays back evil for evil. And B, pursue the good. Your good. They're good, our good, everyone's good, the good. Who is it that would pay back evil for evil? What kind of person would say, they did me wrong, so I'm going to do them wrong? It might be somebody who's disobedient, discouraged, weak, and impatient. Right? And and that's the kind of person that's going to react. You know, today... Over in Oklahoma City, they've got somebody in custody over there who just had another one of these meltdowns on an airplane going across country. Now that shows up in the news every once in a while. Why are people doing that? Well, maybe they're intoxicated, but maybe it's also because we feel like somehow we've got the right these days to just complain about anything. And if people are treating us wrong, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to hit back. They're going to punch us, we're going to counterpunch they're going to hit us we're going to hit back and often you see politicians using that kind of language and they're talking about debate they're talking about disagreement it ought to be a warning sign to us friends when the language of disagreement takes on the language of violence but what if they disagree with you preacher i'm going to hit them back i'm going to hit them with the truth i'm going to hit them with the word of god you never see that kind of language in scripture okay this kind of violent language starts to set us up to where we become disobedient, discouraged. We feel weak and threatened. We lose our patience with everyone. And so I'm just going to give back what was given to me. There's no justification for that. We need to keep on watch. That what instead we're going to do is we're going to find the good. Find the good in other people. Find the good in me. Find the good that's in this world because God has put it there. And like treasure hunters, we're going to go out and we're going to find it. And we're going to pursue it for all we're worth. We're going to pursue it. We're going to cultivate it. And that's how we stay vigilant. If you're thinking, I'm not sure I can do that. Well, you know what? Somebody that you know is doing that. 
You follow them. They're your leader. You follow them. You follow that person who says, I'm just giving back what's been given to me. I'm just paying back the good that I've received. You find that person and you follow them. Make them your hero. Follow them. And ultimately, I'm going to tell you, everybody who's following the good, who's following the good of God, they are ultimately following Jesus Christ. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Now the other part of this, of following the leader in this sobriety, this clean thinking, this clear-headed thinking, he says there's some do's and there's some don'ts. Okay, Very quickly, what are we supposed to do then if we want to think clearly? If we want to be sober-minded and alert? Well, you're going to rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Yeah, we like those. But what if... I've got nothing to rejoice about. What if I'm not sure what to pray? What if I'm not sure about giving thanks? Well, unfortunately, he's got some words attached to that, or I think it's fortunately, actually. There's some little adverbs that you do all these when you do them always. Now, at the same time, I don't want you to think that this is some sort of, uh, you know, painted on happiness that says, I'm going to rejoice, you know, everything is horrible, and I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to rejoice anyway. There is a way that we find gratitude and we can continue in prayer even in the worst of circumstances. It may not be easy, but it is better. It's better than the alternative. Let me put it like this. Complaining doesn't really get us very far. Having a horrible, defeatist outlook doesn't get us very far. But this is more than just attitude. There's an understanding here. Because all of the setbacks that you and I experience are nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. And we've gone through some horrible stuff. Some of us have gone through some really rough stuff. And you know what I find? I find that the people who've been through the most challenging things are often the people who are so close to God. Because Satan made a mistake when he thought, well, you know what, we'll just make something really bad happen and that will disorient that person. That actually drives that person to be closer to God. Now, this also is an instruction to a group, to a group of people. And I'm going to say this, there's going to be days that one of you, one of us, we're not going to feel like rejoicing. There are things that can happen that make us feel like we cannot rejoice. We don't want to pray. But even if we do pray, we might have to pray a prayer of lament. And we certainly don't feel grateful. And we got a lot to be grateful about, but I'm going to tell you at the same time, I know that people sometimes, they don't feel grateful because bad things do happen, and I don't want to take that away. But this is an instruction to a community, and I'm going to tell you, when one of us is weak, not rejoicing, not praying, not feeling like they can give thanks, they need a community that is lifting them up and holds their head up above the waters. Not a group of people who drag them down in their own small misery. As a group of people, we have a larger story. So that even when we're struggling, we see a bigger story. Some of you have helped me up when I am so down that I just don't think I can keep going, but you've reminded me of some things. And I pray that in some way I've done that for you, all the while not discounting the pain and the suffering that we can all feel. Okay, but how do we do that? How do we do that as a group of people? This is where the don'ts come in. 
Don't extinguish the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't, don't stifle it. Church, the reality is there is something much larger than us as Christ's people. We participate in God's Holy Spirit. How many times have we seen this in this text? How many times have we seen it in Scripture that God has given us His Spirit? And that Spirit enables us, empowers us, encourages us to do things that we don't think we can do. I'm not just talking about the miraculous. Although I guess it depends on what you define as a miracle. To see marriages that most people would say, forget it, there's no way they can survive, and yet they're redeemed. To see people who are caught up in addictions and you think that's it, they're lost, and yet they not only get better, but they use the pain that they've went through to help others. To see people who believe that they had no hope, they had no opportunities, that they were going to spend their life in loneliness and instead they find they have a community of believers who encourage them. I don't, these, there's too many of these stories for me to just accept that that's just random chance. I, in fact, I think it's the Spirit at work. Now you say, well wait, why are you going to put out the Spirit? Why are you going to extinguish the Spirit? Well, we either believe that the Spirit's at work among us or we don't. Now here's the thing about the Spirit. If the Spirit's at work among us, the Spirit has a way of doing what it wants. The Spirit is not a superpower for us to control. The Spirit is not some sort of magic that we can manipulate. The Spirit is the very presence, the very mind, heart, the mysterious relationship with a God who is mightier than us. That's the Spirit. And as God, the Spirit will do as the Spirit will do. It'll be good, and it will accomplish His purposes, and it won't contradict His Word, but it is sovereign. And in that sense, sometimes the Spirit takes us places we don't want to go. Sometimes the Spirit wants us to do things that we don't want to do. And so, yeah, when that starts to happen, we want to put it out. We want to stifle it. We want to smother it. Ooh, ooh, we need to tamp down this. You, you people are getting a bit spiritual. You get all spiritual and things start getting uncomfortable and we have to start doing stuff and we have to start living right. You know, let's just keep it all calm. Show up on Sunday. Check in with the insurance agency and make sure that we're not going to hell. Can we just do that? I mean, we simplified this about 200 years, didn't we? Three songs and a prayer. No meddling preaching. All right, a little bit of Lord's Supper table, then we're gone. We're out of here, right? Shouldn't that do it? It's the wrong question to ask. When we extinguish the Spirit, we don't experience all of this stuff that we've been talking about. We don't experience this, this clear mindset that enables us to see the world from God's perspective. The other thing he says there is, don't disregard prophecies. Again, that's lost on us sometimes because we think prophecies, and when you, when you start talking about the Spirit and prophecy, all of a sudden you think that we're talking about some sort of religious fortune teller you know the kind of guys that wear funny clothes and have big hair and they have big rallies and you know do miraculous things and everybody just gets all you know crazy and ginned up you know and we don't want any of that I'm gonna get I'm gonna tell you I don't want any of that either necessarily but I also know that the spirit although it's God and it's sovereign it can do as it wants it's for my good and the prophecy is simply the Word of God. It's that Word of God. The prophets were spokes 
spokesmen for God. They were people who spoke on behalf of God. So I'm not going to disregard God's Word. It might be God's Word as I read it in text. It might be God's Word as it's read to me. It might be the Scripture that somebody reminds me of. It wasn't that long ago that somebody told me, he said, you know what, we're teachers. And as teachers, we're held to a greater accountability. Boy, I took that as the word I needed to hear to remind myself, that's right. I need to rely on His Spirit and not my own understanding. Now, I didn't have to go to some huge revival to to experience that. I just needed somebody who knew God's Word to remind me what I ought to know about God's Word. And then, don't disregard it. So that's what it means to have the right conduct and the right attitude to follow the leader vigilance and sobriety that gets us through all of this. How do you do it? Well, we're going to test out the model. He gives us a model even. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21-22, and if you want to underline that in your Bible, this is what I'd like you to do as you go into the week ahead. In fact, tell you what. Do this. Do verse 21 and 22 through the rest of the year. How about that? And if this starts working for you, then do it next year too. I'm going to show you how you do this. But you do this because everybody's like, oh, you know, <clears throat> I've got to come up with some resolutions. I've got to be a better person. Didn't quite get there this year. How am I going to do it next year? We didn't quite get there as a church. How are we going to get there as a church? You know, whatever. We can all start downing ourselves and getting negative. But instead, I'd like you to go about it the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy describe it in the model here for the model church, for, mo- for people who are modeling their lives on Jesus Christ. It all comes down to this. Examine everything. Test everything. you got a choice to make. you got a decision to make. There's things in your life that you know about that, that you'd like to correct or improve. Whatever it is, examine it. you got your goals in life. you got your relationships in life. Examine it. Examine everything. And then it's a simple process of sorting. Hold on to what's good. If it's good, put it in that basket. Put it wherever. You, know, you hold on to it. You keep it. Don't chuck it out. If it's good, notice it. Frame it. Whatever you have to do to keep it close to you in your life. But if you've examined it and it even it has any kind of it's any type of evil, anything that's just not quite good enough to be God's goodness, chuck it out. Abstain from it. Now, I know sometimes that can be difficult. It's like I'm not sure about some of these things. Well, in your examination, don't go it alone. Follow your leaders. You've got companions. You've got friends. You've got peers. You've got leaders. You've got elders. You've got, you've got ministers. You've got people who care about you. You have wise counsel. Go to them and examine it with them. And this is the process that we call discernment. And through this process, we are all trying to stay vigilant and stay sober in a broken world, but a world that God cares about enough to delay His judgment and redeem it ultimately. And we want to be a part of that. This is the model. Can we do it? Well, The writers of Thessalonians, and more importantly, God's Spirit seems to think that we can. And so I want to leave you with this prayer this morning as we now move towards the Lord's Supper. Keep this in mind as we go into it, a time when we often meditate and we often acknowledge one another that we're all gathered around His table. 
where we want to do this in remembrance of Him, understand that this do this folds over into all of the other do this that we just talked about. Now, may the God of peace make you holy. Make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen because He who calls you is faithful. Pray, my soul.